Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Good morning, New Life. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Corey Schumacher, and my wife Stephanie and I are missionaries with Crew. Uh, we started out overseas in East Asia. But for the past 10 years, we have been back at our alma mater here at Ball State University, uh, where I help lead a team of about 20 other missionary staff uh, who work together to build spiritual movements of evangelism and discipleship, uh, not only at Ball State, but also on nearby campuses in East Central Indiana and overseas around the world as well. And I just want to say real quick, on behalf of all of us in crew, my staff team, our students, my family, we are so grateful for new life. Uh, we are just so thankful for your prayers, for your support of us over the years, and it is a joy and a privilege to lock arms with you as we go after the mission together. Well, it's also an honor to bring God's word to you this morning, so if you do have a Bible, I invite you to open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And we'll be in verses 1 to 7 this morning. If you don't, have a Bible with you, there should be one in front of you in the seat below, and you can find our sermon text on page 510. Well, as you're making your way there, I have a question for you this morning, and the question is this, have you ever lost something so valuable to you that you'd do anything to get it back? Now, we all lose stuff from time to time, cell phone, wallet, car keys, sanity, but have you ever lost something so important, so valuable, that nothing else mattered except getting it back? Well, this past Wednesday, as you all know, was a solemn day in our nation. Eighteen years ago, on September the 11th, 2001, we experienced the greatest ter terrorist attack in our history. Four passenger airplanes were hijacked. Two of them were crashed into the World Trade Center towers in New York. One of them hit the Pentagon, and one of them landed and was crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. After all was said and done, nearly 3,000 people lost their lives that day. Included in that number were hundreds of firefighters and rescue workers who were in the buildings rescuing people when they collapsed, killing almost everyone. But in the midst of the tragedy, we remember the remarkable heroism that was displayed that day. You know, as the dust began to settle at ground zero, there was a search and rescue effort to begin to find survivors in the rubble. Do you remember? And the thought was that maybe there were some people who were still alive in the voids and the crevices deep below the ground. And... The problem was this, if they were going to find anyone, they would have to maneuver their way carefully through hundreds of feet of burning steel, glass, and concrete, all meshed together, which threatened to come crashing down at any moment. And yet, they went down anyways. Amazingly, 16 people survived the collapse of the towers, all of them in the North Tower, and they were found hiding under a stairwell. 
They had been trapped down there for hours in the dark, buried alive, thinking this could be it. They may not make it out. But eventually they were rescued. And one of the rescuers, or one of those who were rescued, rather, was Lieutenant Mickey Cross, who was a firefighter who had been in the buildings when they had collapsed in the North Tower. And as um, soon as they made it out, get this, Mickey, as soon as he was rescued, despite all of the, the trauma of being trapped for hours in the dark, you know what he did? He went right back searching for, rest, for survivors. Because for Lieutenant Cross, this was personal. He was on a hunt to find his good friend, George Kane, who was still trapped. And this, there, were, there were so many others just like Lieutenant Cross, people who lost loved ones who were searching desperately to find them, many of them sleeping through the night on the rubble. There were a group of um, retired firefighters who were searching for their lost firefighter sons. They became known affectionately at Ground Zero as the Band of Dads because they were relentlessly searching together arm in arm for their missing boys. But isn't it true? Isn't it true that the more valuable something is to us, the more urgently we search for it when it's lost? Right? This was true for Lieutenant Cross. It's true for the Band of Dads. It's true for us as well. But this is also true for the God of the Bible. Right now, did you know that God is on a rescue mission? He is urgently seeking lost people in the world today. Why? Because lost people matter. They matter to God. And because they matter to God, they should matter to us as well. Well, the Gospel of Luke has three back-to-back -back parables, each of which reveal God's heart for the lost. And this morning, I would like to explore with you the first of these parables, the parable of the lost sheep, which you can find in Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. So now I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. We ask your blessing on both the preaching and the hearing, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and do a work in our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this. Lost people matter to God. They do. And because they matter to God, they should matter to us as his people. Well, before we explore this parable this morning, there are, there are three, uh, or there's a couple of things that we, I want you to understand. It's important, first of all, 
that Jesus is addressing a group of religious leaders who are criticizing his ministry. At this point, Jesus had you know, been growing popular with the crowds. And it says he's been hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and they're drawing near to hear him. And when these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, get wind of this, they begin complaining and criticizing Jesus. And so this parable is Jesus' response to these leaders. And there are three perspectives I'd like us to consider as we explore this together. The first is the reckless peril of the lost. The second is the relentless pursuit of God. And the third is the redemptive purpose of the church. So let's consider now this first perspective, the perspective of the lost. Because the lost have strayed, my friends, they are in reckless peril. Lives are in danger. Look, at the, even at just the parable um, of the lost sheep, what immediately happens is there's a shepherd who is confronted with a problem. Right? He's got 100 sheep. He begins doing roll call, 97, 98, 99, and uh-oh, one has gone missing. One of the sheep is not there, but what's the big deal? Why does this matter? He's got 99 other sheep, just cut your losses, let it go. Well, it matters because that lost sheep is valuable to the shepherd. I've been told that sheep are social creatures, and so if they wander off from the fold, it's likely because there's some sort of problem. Perhaps they're sick or injured or dying. The, this lost sheep is in danger and the shepherd knows it. And without the shepherd, that sheep is helpless. You see, they're defenseless against predators such as wolves. You know, they don't have sharp teeth. They don't have sharp claws. They're not that quick. But they're also defenseless around in their surrounding environment. A few years ago, I read a story uh, published by USA Today uh, in 2005, about a group of shepherds in eastern Turkey, okay, Istanbul, that had a field of about 1,500 sheep. And they had taken a break for breakfast. And when they were inside eating their breakfast, they watched as one of those sheep jumped off a cliff and fell to its death. Well, here's the crazy part. 400 other sheep followed that one sheep, and they too jumped off the cliff, plummeting to their deaths. And then and the other 1,100 sheep also jumped off the cliff, but they survived, presumably because there was a giant cushion of fluffy wool to brace the impact. True story. It was estimated when it was all said and done, about $100,000 in damages, all because of one stray sheep. You see, without a shepherd, the sheep are helpless. And just like sheep, my friends, people today have wandered from their shepherd. People have strayed from God. Listen to how Isaiah describes it in the Old Testament. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. This is the very character of sin, is it not? At, at the core, sin is a turning away from God and going our own direction. This was our downfall in the Garden of Eden. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were given free reign, eat of any tree in the garden except for one. But they sought to live life on their terms. They turned against God and went their own way. And this is exactly what we've been doing ever since. It's the story of humanity. God created us, you see, to dwell with him, right, in security and in peace. He designed our hearts to find true life in the security of his love and in the intimacy of his presence 
but we have strayed from God. All of us have strayed. And instead of finding life in God, we have sought to find life where there is no life. We've traded in this terrible exchange, a lush, beautiful garden for a desert wasteland. This is why people do things like abuse alcohol and drugs and sex to numb the pain and the stress of this life. It's why people seek to find their self-worth in things like money and power and success. We have gone our own way and without God as the source of our identity and our security and our joy, we look to substitute shepherds to meet those needs. Beloved, there are some serious problems in the world today. we got major issues in our society, but I'm telling you this, our greatest threat, it's not who's in office, it's not some foreign nation. Our greatest threat is that we have strayed from God. And unless we are brought back, we are in serious danger. Paul later says in the New Testament, Romans 6, 23, that the wages of our sin is death. The wages are death. There are consequences for straying from God. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There is coming a time in everyone's life where it will be too late. Only those who have turned back to their shepherd will be rescued from this peril. Friends, there are lost people all around you in your life. You have family, friends, co-workers, classmates, neighbors who are lost and in danger. And they might always look like that. They might, not, they might not appear lost. You know, people might be happy and successful just living life on their own terms. But there is coming a day for them when it will be too late and judgment is coming. Have you let that reality sink into your heart? This is the reckless peril of being lost. But there's another perspective we need to consider this morning, and that is the relentless pursuit of God. The relentless pursuit of God. We see this immediately in the shepherd's response. Notice immediately, once the sheep goes missing, what does he do? He leaves the 99 to go after the one. He puts the 99 at risk in the open country to go after that lost sheep. And notice also, not only was that an urgent mission, but he doesn't stop until he finds it. He's relentless. He even goes so far as to carry the sheep home on his shoulders until it's brought back into the safety of the fold. The shepherd is relentless because remember, when something you love is lost, nothing else matters but getting it back. Jesus makes it clear that he is the good shepherd who is relentlessly pursuing his sheep. Luke 19 says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is his mission. And remember, the more we love something, the more willing we are, the more we are willing to risk to get it back. So think with me just for a moment, what did Jesus risk to go after us? Well, first of all, he risked his comfort. To pursue us. Just as the shepherd left his home, Jesus left the comfort of his heavenly home 
Jesus took on flesh and blood, became a man. He learned how to live in this world. He learned how to walk. He learned how to talk. He went through socially awkward teenage years. Okay, Jesus learned how to deal with life and a body, cuts and bruises. He endured all the pain and suffering that comes with living in this world. They called him a man of sorrows. He didn't just sit in heaven feeling sad for us when we were lost. He left and came and did something about it. He risked his comfort. But he also risked his reputation to befriend us. Jesus risked his reputation by hanging out with the wrong people. Jesus is not hanging out in the story with the religious elites, with the insiders, with the important people. Jesus is hanging out with the outcasts, with the dregs of society, with people whose lives were morally repugnant to the Pharisees and to the scribes. And not only is he with them, but he's eating with them. In Jewish culture, by the way, to share a meal with someone symbolized your friendship with them. You didn't just eat with anybody. And this is highly offensive to the Pharisees and the scribes. By the way, the Pharisees, they're a very zealous group. Right? They taught a strict adherence to the law of Moses and sometimes even adding their own traditions and customs, which over time resulted in a kind of an us versus them mentality. One up, one down. And so when the Pharisees hear what's going on, they grumble, they murmur, and they start to tarnish Jesus' reputation. At other points in the gospel, they call him a drunkard and a glutton. For the Pharisees, Jesus was guilty by association. But he didn't care. He was not afraid to bust through all the social norms to go after his sheep. He pursues sinners anyway. How many of you know Jesus is a friend of sinners? He loves sinners. He's a friend. There is no person too sinful. There is no place too dark that Jesus won't go and light it up with his presence. By the way, this is why we have ministries like Light in the Darkness or Hope in the Darkness. He is willing to light it up because he loves sinners. He will relentlessly pursue us wherever they are and whoever they are. doesn't matter if they're conservative or liberal. doesn't matter if they're black or white, gay or straight, rich, poor, married, divorced, single, widowed, documented or undocumented. Jesus goes where the sinners are. And he goes because they need to be rescued all of us need to be rescued. All of us. But if he was going to rescue us, he would have to risk more than his comfort and more than his reputation. Jesus would need to risk his very life. And that's what he does. Jesus risked, not only risked his life, but he gave his life to save us. John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, he knew that he was going to have to pay the ultimate price. And that's exactly what he did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he secured our rescue. And when we turn back to God in faith and trust in what Jesus has done, and we return from our sin, we receive forgiveness of all our sins. We receive eternal life. And the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he rescues us. He gives us these things not because we deserve it. 
not because we've earned it. It's not because of our good works or our moral performance or how our church attendance or how much money we give. God was not motivated to pursue us because of anything we could do for him. He tells us, in fact, why he came after us in Matthew 9, 36. He says, when the crowds, they saw the crowds, they had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We couldn't do anything for God. It's because God's, of God's great love for us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's all because of his love. It's all because of his compassion. It's all because of sheer grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This is how far Jesus was willing to go to get back what was lost. And it's how far he is still willing to go right now for his lost sheep. He said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. There are people, my friends, all around you, all around me, who are still lost. And guess what? Jesus wants to rescue them. And this is why he commissions us to join him in his rescue mission, which brings us this morning to our final perspective, and that is the redemptive purpose of the church. Jesus has commissioned us as his followers to join him in his rescue mission. How many of you ever wondered, you know, why doesn't God, after he saves me, just like zap me up into heaven? You know, what, why, do, what, why do we need to be here for? Let's just all go to heaven and be with him. He doesn't zap us up into heaven when we come to Christ because he has stuff for us to do here. He has a purpose on this earth. He has a mission, and he wants us to join him and participate in him, with him in the mission. It's kind of like my kids play this game at school. Maybe you've heard of it called Sharks and Minnows. You know, you start with a couple of sharks, and then they're trying to get all the other minnows um, to join them by tagging them. And so you're trying to escape the sharks. But, but once you are tagged, you're, in, you're part of the team now. That's, I think, how we should envision our mission, right? As soon as we get rescued, just like Lieutenant Cross, man, he was out of the rubble, but he turned right back in to join the rescue party. That's what it's about. He's given to the church his marching orders. Here are a few examples. John 20, 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And by the way, this mission, it's not just for the missionaries and pastors and church leaders. This mission is for the church. In fact, well, I think one of the reasons God gives to the church its leaders is to equip the church to have a ministry. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 11. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not to do all the ministry themselves. It's a team sport, friends. We are, we're in this together. Just to be clear, God's mission does include more than reaching the lost. But certainly not less. And this is the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes in this passage. Notice the stark contrast 
between verses 6 and 7, the rejoicing when the lost are found. Right? There's supposed to be a celebration. There's a party in heaven when the lost come to Christ. Contrast that with the grumbling, the murmuring of the Pharisees. They had a lot of good things going for them. Don't get me wrong. The Pharisees, they were extremely devout in their Bible studies. They were meticulous in their law keeping. They were pretty incredible people, actually. But there's one thing they didn't have. They didn't share God's heart for the lost. A number of years ago, Barna Group did a research study on how non-believers experience and perceive Christians around them. And this research was published in a book uh, called Unchristian by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. And at the top of a very long list of negative words that were used to describe how people perceive Christians, the top of that list was the word judgmental. 87% of non-Christians described Christians as judgmental. And specifically... Um, the idea, the perception was this, that Christians are prideful and quick to find fault in others. But how could we ever, how could we expect the lost, these, the, the people who don't know Jesus, to be drawn into Jesus when this is how they experience his followers? Prideful, finding fault, nitpicking. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that we need to be responsible for everybody's opinions and perceptions of the church. We can't take that on ourselves. But here's what I am suggesting. God wants us to have a heart of love and compassion for non-believers. He does. God wants us to examine our hearts to see if we have an attitude of love towards the lost. Friends, do you have a heart for the lost? Do they matter to you? Are you bothered by the peril that awaits them? Does it provoke you to want to do something? But one thing all of us can do, I believe, to grow in our hearts towards the lost is to remember this. It's to remember that we were all once lost ourselves. We were. Think about this. Where would your life be today? If God hadn't saved you, where would you be? What would your life look like if you were still lost? If God hadn't scooped you out of the miry clay and set your feet upon a rock and cleansed you of your sins and given you his Holy Spirit and a new future and a new hope, where would your life be? I know mine would be a total wreck because I know from where I came. And it's not pretty. It's been said before that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You've probably heard that before. The cross levels the playing field and reminds us that we all need Jesus just as much inside the church as those outside the church. If you ever hear someone tell you, man, that guy really needs Jesus, say this to him. Yeah, me too. Me too. There is no room for pride at the foot of the cross. And reflecting on this should humble us, right? And it should open our hearts towards those who are still lost. And of course, how we participate in Jesus' mission will be different for all of us. 
It's going to be based on our gifts, our callings. It's based on our capacity, our season of life. I'm not saying we need to leave here and all go knocking on doors and approaching strangers and being evangelists or Billy Grahams. Like, that's not going to happen. That's not expected of us. But here's what I believe God does expect of us, that we should be doing something to draw those who are lost to Christ. So what can you do? Well, for starters, just based on this parable, just as Jesus pursued and befriended the lost, we should pursue and befriend lost people in our lives. It's very simple. Colossians chapter 4, 5 and 6 instructs the church this way. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. This is actually very helpful instruction. The main idea is we're to live wisely among those who aren't believers. This means that we ought to be intentional to pursue non-Christians. We should live in a way that opens doors and creates opportunities to have connections with people who aren't believers. Do you have non-Christian friends in your life? Does your schedule and do your habits... Are they, are they set up in such a way that you're allowed to move towards the lost? Or do they hinder you and keep you separated from them? Here's the deal. We got to get on their turf. We got to get on their turf and not just expect the lost to come onto our turf. We got to go hang out where they're hanging out and be with them. So where are the unbelievers hanging out in Muncie? Where do non-Christians congregate in Yorktown and Upland? Where are they at? And here's the thing, I don't think this needs to be one more thing in our schedules. This is the cool part. This is just how we live life. One idea, great way to do this is just pursue your hobbies and your interests. But find people who don't know Jesus and do it with them. It's very easy. If you, if you love to work out or exercise, go to a class at the gym. If you like reading books, join a book club at the local library. If you like playing board games... Invite some non-believers into your board game group. Whatever your thing is, gardening, if it's baking, if it's fishing, if it's Elvis Presley, find people who do those things, and chances are they're already doing them out in the community, and we can just do it with them. True story, I looked it up on meetups.com, and there actually is a club in Muncie called Elvis Fans Sharing Memories. So I'm just saying, whatever your thing is, probably there's someone out there that you can meet up with that doesn't know Jesus. Another way that we can live wisely among the lost is just to pray for them, right? Start praying for them by name. Start with those you already know, maybe your family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, classmates. Little tip, just a suggestion. Maybe you make a list of the first five people that God brings to mind and start praying for them every day. Maybe Monday through Friday, one, one name per day, and begin praying that God would be working in their hearts. Pray that he would open up doors and opportunities for you to engage them in spiritual conversations about God. And watch what happens. Watch what happens. Make the most of every opportunity the Lord provides. Don't chicken out when that door opens. And finally, when you do engage with unbelievers, let your words be gracious and attractive. 
Sharing the gospel is not a sales pitch. You don't have to close the deal. It's God's job to change hearts, not yours, not mine. I would have quit my role a long time ago if it were on me to change hearts. But, and you might be thinking, Corey, this is very, very basic stuff. There's nothing innovative here. And you're right. What I'm sharing with you is very simple. Make some non-Christian friends. Start praying for them. Look out for opportunities to engage them with spiritual conversations. And when you talk to them, don't be judgmental and angry, but gracious. And just see what happens. Imagine with me, friends. Imagine if we all started pursuing the lost in this way. What would new life look like in five years? If we were engaging the lost like this. Imagine this. What if Christians in Muncie and Yorktown were living this out and sharing with the lost? What would our city look like in ten years? It's exciting to think about the possibilities. Well, I want to share with you a story before we go um, about Lindsay Cowley. She's a student in our ministry, and I've gotten permission from her to tell you her story. Lindsay grew up in a small town in Ohio in a family that really had nothing else to do but drink. And so they were known um, as the crazy colleagues. Uh, Sadly, however, when Lindsay was just a baby, uh, just three months old, not even three months old, her father died uh, by suicide. And as you can imagine, um, just growing up without your dad in that way, all the feelings of abandonment and confusion come along with that. So by the time Lindsay was just 14 years old, um, she followed in the legacy of her family and she turned to alcohol to begin numbing that pain of her childhood. And she inherited her family's legacy and she too became a crazy colleague. She went all in and just partied hard through high school. So much so that her senior year, when they do those senior superlatives, her senior class voted her biggest partier. Well, this continued in. They, you know, they all thought, by the way, they're looking at her on the outside, and she looks happy, joyful. She's the center of attention, but inwardly, she's just numbing her pain. She's hurting inside. She goes to college, um, transfers to Ball State her junior year, and she, she has a roommate named Abby, her and Abby had just come to know Christ through crew on campus. And Abby starts talking with her about God and invites her to a crew meeting. And it was at a crew meeting where Lindsay heard something she'd never heard before. That there was a God who wanted to be a father to her. That there was a God who sent his son to die, not to abandon her, but to pursue her in a relationship. And I have to tell you, friends, this broke Lindsay's heart. She was so transformed by the gospel. She gave her life to Christ. And she was immediately impacted. She began learning how to tell her friends about Jesus. And she started sharing her faith. She went on a summer mission this this past summer for six weeks with crew to Croatia, where she began telling other college students about how they too could have life in the Savior. This is what happens, my friends. This is what Jesus is doing in the world. He loves to save sinners. It's what he does. And the sad reality is most people in your life and in my life have never truly understood the gospel. And most Christians will go their whole lives never taking the opportunity to tell them where to find bread. And my friends, if you are one of the 99 who've been found, then you know where to find it. You've eaten it. You've tasted it. And so we've been called by Jesus to join him in his mission by pursuing 
and loving the lost people around us. So let's do it. Let's get after it. Let's engage the lost people in Muncie and in Yorktown. And I'll tell you, you may have to risk your comfort. You might have to risk your reputation. And in extreme cases, you may even need to risk your life. But Jesus risked it all for his lost sheep. And so should we. Well, if you'd like to learn more about what Crew is doing to reach college students or just want to hear more inspiring stories like Lindsay's, we'd love to tell you about them, get you connected. Come talk to me after the service. Would you please pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would burden our hearts for the lost people in our lives and help us, Lord, to engage with them with your love and truth for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of his kingdom. It's his name we pray.